Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome to another Sports Pro Podcast. My name is Owen Connolly. I'm the editor at large at Sports Pro. I hope you're all very well. We're going to be looking across the Atlantic to the return of the major leagues in the US this week. Um, Joining us for that conversation, please welcome the CNBC sports business reporter, Jabari Young. Hi, Jabari. Oh, it's good to have you, uh, have me on the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And um, hello to you. Hope all of your your family and friends, everybody who's listening uh, as well during this uh, very interesting time in our, uh, our livelihood. Yeah, interesting time indeed. Hope hope you're well as well, and and we appreciate you coming on in, in what's going to be a busy week um, out in the states for from a, a sports business perspective. Um, we're going to be hearing as well in the second part of the program from Sandy Brown, who is the commissioner of Major League Lacrosse, uh, who completed their season at the weekend, a truncated and heavily controlled season, as I'm sure you can appreciate. Um, but there is a lot to lot to get into as far as uh, the US sports scene goes. I think where we have to start, Jabari, is that, you know, we're recording this on a, on a Tuesday. Um, well, it's Tuesday morning for you, Tuesday afternoon for me, coming towards the end of the day. Uh, we were meant to be recording it on a Monday. And um, then we had some news coming out of Major League Baseball um, that caused a hasty reschedule. And not just for us, but also for the Miami Marlins. Yeah, you know, an interesting Monday, uh, but I think one that um, was at some point, you know, you would have to look at one side of the equation and you would think that the Major League, Major League Baseball officials, uh, the commissioner who runs the league, Rob Manfred, that they anticipated this, right? You know, these are very smart individuals that we're talking about who run sports leagues. And so you have to think that the, all of the lawyers, all of the officials around them, that this was factored in, hey, what happens if a spread happens? Uh, what will we do? What are the protocols? And, um, you know, so it's interesting to see uh, that it happens so fast and, and to see how MLB is responding to it. But a lot of it also is that they're learning on the fly. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, you have one side who sees this and they're going to obviously think that baseball should shut down immediately, that it's just not worth the risk. But, um, you know, this is also what we were reporting, you know, weeks ago, that these were the things that, you know, were concerning. Mm. Um, so, has happened, uh, I smile when I, I think about the shock that everybody uh, pretends to have. <laughs> Why are we surprised by this? This is are we, we expect something like this to possibly happen with no vaccine. So, um, you know, it's one on one, one hand, you, you, you're very looking very closely and, and you're hoping that, you know, MLB doesn't mess this up uh, and if they can get their act straight and get them the protocols correct. So that way that, you know, if this does happen again, that it can limit uh, and, you know, get, you know, uh, fixed quickly. Uh, and on the other hand, you know, you, you, you're just observing to see how they're doing. I'm sure other leagues are studying as well, especially NFL, who's going to find themselves in the same predicament, um, you know, in a few months. Yeah. Um, I mean, what's the, what's the mood like generally? And, and this obviously is going to have contributed a bit more to some of the nerves that there will have been seeing Major League Sport return. And I know that there's been, you know, we've had PGA Tour golf, we've had tournaments for uh, MLS, we've had uh, National Women's Soccer League as well. But the, this was this is the kind of the big comeback. So the fact that these tests are happening, uh, sorry, the fact that these positive tests 
uh, are occurring now. How much is that going to change the conversation? Yeah, I don't know how much it changes the conversation. I just think that the critics that are against leagues coming back, this is their opportunity to uh, highlight the things that they were concerned with. Um, and that's fair. You know, listen, leagues decided to come back, had to understand that they would be faced with certain scrutiny, certain criticisms of people who just don't feel like it's worth any risk. You're talking about people's lives. You know, let me get one thing straight. Sports cannot happen without human beings, right? And human lives, human beings have to be valued more than anything else. Um, and on the other side of that, you know, players are obviously understand the risk and they're willing to do it. Um, and, and the players associations have signed off on it. So, uh, we all know what the risks are. Listen, we know what the risks are going to the supermarket, mm. right? <laughs> um, so it's no different. You know, I think in some ways you can look at it and, and, and look at people's criticism and say, hey, that might be a bit unfair. Uh, and then on the other side, you can say, hey, it's a, it's valid. Um, it's all about perspectives. And I think the fact that we're having these conversations only can help leagues uh, because they hear it. Um, they, they listen. And I think this only helps them understand what the concerns are and um and that's it but at the end of the day you just have to ask yourself you know is it really is it really worth the profit that's going to be lost if you decide to cancel the season and i think most leagues have determined that that loss is too great um that they don't want to risk it uh, smaller leagues who may not make enough revenue are probably thinking that listen this is we can't afford to go on you know we got to suspend because we can't have the operations to go on because we can't fund it um, you know, we need those live events because, you know, attendance makes up their, uh, makes up their revenue streams, a, a big portion of it. So there's a lot of things to consider when you look at the insurance side, when you look at players' careers, money that they're going to be losing, owners who, uh, obviously they'll take their losses too, but, you, you know, you would think that on the back end that they'll make that back up when they go to sell a team, but listen, they still want to make money while, while that, while they're accumulating that value. So there's a whole bunch of perspectives to look at look at it from. And, and I've obviously been in an opportunity where I'm able to, to talk to a lot of people and look at a whole different perspectives. And you're just not going to find one side. You know, you're not going to find a person in the room that's looking at you. Everybody's going to have their viewpoint on it. And it's about uh, leagues trying to hear those viewpoints and, and obviously trying their best to end their seasons, conclude their seasons without any other interruption, because they obviously are going to take massive losses as it is. Obviously, yeah, as, you, as you mentioned, some leagues, um, haven't gone ahead minor league baseball uh for example it was just too complicated a, a scenario for them to to consider without the kind of broadcast revenues that uh that the majors can depend on it's not only the broadcast revenues you know i feel for leagues like minor league baseball and because it's not only the the, the broadcast revenue and obviously you know we want to see the players develop in their careers and turn into stars themselves but it's those communities that uh, rely on minor league baseball's revenue, rely on the attraction, rely on fans coming, the parking, the, the concessions, uh, just the outing in itself. Um, and there's a lot of those communities around the country that are missing out on that. I mean, listen, that was that's some, some in some towns. That's all they had. Yeah. You know, and then from a pro sports perspective, you know, so the, I feel for those people because I, I understand what, what it's like to, to, to come from not. Uh, not having a lot and not come from much. And, and when you have that one thing that, that unifies a town, like a minor league baseball team, to not have that um, really kind of, uh, it affects things. It affects not only from an economic point of view, but it affects from a social point of view. Um, 
you know, for kids, you know, sometimes those are the only things that they have in certain communities. So I feel bad uh, for that. You know, I think revenue wise, you know, these guys, some of them will miss out on a lot of money and, and some of them won't. And it's a shame what's happening with the MLB. But I, I don't want that for God. And I think a lot of times we, we move ahead and we always think about the economic point of view, which is very important when we talk about sports business. But there's also that social point of view, because, again, human beings make this thing go around. And, and without human beings, you know, you don't have any of this. Mm. Um, you don't have people watching the broadcast. You don't have players making the amount of money that they make without the fans. And so. Uh, I hope at the end of the day that leagues can somehow find a way to make this up because it ain't about just the revenue in their pockets. It's the massive losses that not only their fans are taking, but, you know, people who uh, run the day-to-day operations like security and, and concession, uh, you know, employees. You know, those people are, are, are taking hits too, and, and I feel bad. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's that's a, uh, an important point. And it's, you know, if you look at, I guess, the... The issue for the, lots of those competitions is just that they can't run with empty empty grounds because that's kind of it's kind of not the purpose anyway, as you say. If they're a community organization, but also they're they're not going to have the the TV revenues to to fall back on um, to kind of to make the exercise financially worthwhile, I guess. You know, MLB is is back, or as we're talking, they've they've played their first few games of, of what's actually a new season. Um, because the, the 2020 season hadn't started yet. Uh, NBA and NHL are returning in a different kind of environment where they are, you know, play, teams are going to be uh, kind of in collective bubbles uh, rather than different setups. So I guess th- there'll be different kinds of protocols to um, to follow over the course of the season. How much confidence is there about the return of NBA and, uh, and NHL later this week? Well, I mean, listen, the confidence is there. These leagues have already put things in motion. Uh, they, the bubbles obviously are built, right? And there's, there's no going back now. Um, you know, I think when we look at it and try to compare the MLB to the NBA, which I think is unfair, um, and, and that's just, you know, my opinion, not to knock anybody else's, and you know, everybody has their own perspective on it, but I, I just think it's unfair. The MLB is a league that, you know, people forget, remember, the NBA and the NHL, they're not taking every team with them. Uh, they were in the middle of their seasons when this was interrupted. The MLB didn't get a chance to start yet, so they can't eliminate certain teams. And they got certain, you know, they have a whole bunch more players and a whole league that they got to operate a season. So to, to, to pick on the MLB is is, is, is not fair because that's a, the, one of the first is starting their league from scratch. You know, credit to, you know, women's uh, soccer for uh, becoming the first league to, to come back in, in June, right? And you could do everything in your power to prevent things, but you're going to have these type of problems that the MLB is going through. Hopefully leagues don't have it at the magnitude, but I think it's one thing to pick on the MLB. Again, I think that's unfair uh, to criticize them for, for, for continuing to play is unfair because we were the same leagues, uh, same, you know, the, the same people that were hoping that they come back because they need some sense of sports in their lives. I, I think you, you just got to give them a shot. Now, if this continues to happen over and over again and they just ain't getting it right, then, yeah, I'll be right there with everybody else saying, hey, you might want to think about canceling the season. But we, I think you owe, it, you owe them time. And I think these leagues should be happy that the MLB is uh, – NBA, NHL, they should be happy that the MLB is on display like this because you're able to see what the criticisms are going to be. You're able to see the mistakes. Mm. You're able to see from afar. Uh, and we're looking at this on a very public level. Remember, companies are doing – there are a whole bunch of companies in America that are doing way worse than what the MLB is doing. 
Wimbledon um, and uh, NCAA were very, very fortunate that they structured their insurances to reflect that a pandemic would trigger cancellations. And it just so happens that the vocabulary in this particular instance worked out in their favor when this virus became a pandemic. Uh, they were able to cancel their leagues and eliminate the risk. Those other leagues are not as fortunate. And if they do cancel, they're talking about billions of dollars of losses of which it's easy for us. People were not making that type of money to credit up just to say, hey, go cancel. It's not worth it. And I'm one of those people that I do want to value human lives, but I can't knock any player um, that decides to do it. I can't knock any league that decides to, to come back because it's not my livelihood that um, that 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 I lose if if uh, those leagues come back. And in a way, it is because I'm a sports business reporter, right? So I would, I would assume that I need sports around. Um, that's why I've been studying La Liga because those side overseas is happening. I got to concentrate. <laughs> so some sports is happening, but um, again, I, I just think you owe it a shot. You know, if the MLB continues to fail, then yeah, then maybe they should think about cutting maybe some games and say, hey, you know, we're going to just eliminate it, get to this point, just to try to crown a champion or just eliminate it. It's not like the MLB hasn't been here before. They missed out on an entire season before, in 1994, I believe it was. Don't quote me on that, but somewhere around there. Um, and so they've been on this this road before. Will it be challenging to do it again? Absolutely. It will. And, and you may have some teams who suffer and may fold. And that's scary to say, but that's just the reality of the situation, right? Um, if you leave certain economic reports that teams and owners complain about. And if that happens, then you know that it might be a long time before that 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 you know that comes back. So you you, you kind of have to look at it from a long term point of view as well as a short term point of view. And it's not easy. It's not easy and there's no right or wrong answer. Just just focusing on that short term first of all, I want I, I want to pick up on uh something about just the timing of these seasons um and, and what that could mean in the longer term. But on that short term, you know, the experience of having gone through the restarts in this country and across Europe were that the conversations about protocols and the conversations about scheduling and all that kind of thing happened at a point where the, you know, the public health situation was much more severe. You had a higher number of cases. and um, But when the, when the sport actually started, that had the world had, had become a little bit safer and there were more aspects of normal life that had returned so it was coming back at a point where it was you know really welcome in that sense obviously in the us the the pandemic has taken a slightly different course and we are seeing a rise in the number of cases at the moment i mean has that affected the way that some of these debates are being are being constructed i think so you know, listen, it, when, when we were when New York cases were coming down and Florida's weren't as high as they were, you know, everybody, you know, you saw certain officials and, and people praising uh, or, or welcoming, I should say, uh, sports teams to come back and, and get under the, the fold and start to try to give people a distraction from this virus. Right. That was the that's is what appeared to me to be the, the tone, um, despite the same difficult, despite the same risk, right? No, nothing, no risk has changed over the last, only risk has changed is where where, where, where the, the cases are have increased. You know, I'm up in a New York, New Jersey area, so I've been through my fair share, right? And and the, the strange part about it is I'm still driving around with Texas license plates on, so you can imagine how uncomfortable I feel right now. I haven't completed my car registration from when I moved to Texas. 
you know, I digress, but it, the, the tone has changed because we see things happening now in Florida and in Texas. And now we see the cases rising and now we see economies opening back up and people getting sick again and bars and having to shut back down. You know, Texas regressed, California regressed. And now that these states are thinking about it themselves, I think people are asking themselves, hey, wait a minute. If we are going back to shutting down the economy, shouldn't sports be going back to that, too? Because why are they out here doing this? But um, obviously, again, the leagues have their own perspective on it. They feel like they've have enough science and data to, to get on with it. You know, it's one thing to blame uh, leagues. But remember, players have opt outs. You know, they, they, they can choose to sit out. You know, they'll never gain money back in certain you know situations. But um, nobody's putting the gun to anybody's head and forcing them to do anything. And if they did, and I think they'll be opening themselves up to all types of lawsuits and grievances and all that stuff. So this is what it is. You know, collective bargain agreements, economics are structured around these type of things and players lose just as much as owners. And I think the incentive of that is just too much. Um, and again, the tone of the country may have changed, but the, the economic standpoint that leagues and players have decided that they cannot risk uh, it remains the same. And as long as that tone remains the same from their perspective, I think you'll see sports go on for as long as it possibly can now that it's back. Because I don't believe, again, let me say, I do not believe that you're going to see the country as a whole in the U.S. shut down the way it did a couple of months ago. Um, I just, I don't think that we're headed there. I just, I think the, the economic risks that government officials have decided is just too much. And so this is the way it's going to be. Um, this is how life is going to be until uh, we, we find that vaccine and, and sports leagues are a part of our lives, right? And, and this is true in the U.S. We've made this a part of our lives. It's a billion dollar, billions and dollars of sectors. I mean, this is everything is attached to sports. Now, take away sports, the entire cable model may fold. That's how important sports is in the U.S. They're upholding cable ecosystems right now. Without them, they fold. Um, now that we've made sports a part of our lives, like the supermarket, like Target, like Walmart, um, this is what comes with it. But I mean, a part of a part of that ecosystem that's going to change substantially for this year, we're going to see the NBA played in the summer for the first time, um, and we're going to see NHL finishing the summer as well. What what are they going to learn about their audiences? Do you think is there, is there anything that they can learn about? what the long-term implications of a change like that might be, or is it a bit of a one-off and because everything is so unusual, it'll be written off and, and kind of that all of that will be parked when we, uh, when we go into 20 next season. You know, I think this is a moment that uh, there, there, it's still in progress. You know, no, nothing has been concluded yet. You know, I look forward to the day. I, I had a friend of mine, uh, a very, very good respected writer who uh, decided at the, beginning of the virus, that the information that was coming out at all was rapid. It was just too much. And he decided to shut it all down. I mean, no social media, no news, no nothing. He focused on what was in front of him. He focused on his life. And then I, I saw a post that he you know, had on a recent social media page that reflected his learnings over the past few months that he shut it all down. And he had no idea of the current events that was happening. And I believe him. Um, uh, and, and I mean, he had basically no idea, but as he returns to, you know, go cover the NBA bubble, he's looking forward to the questions that he gets to ask people now that things have kind of not settled down, but now that certain events 
it's not new anymore. Now he gets to pick people's brains and curiosity. I think the NBA, I think leagues in general haven't gotten to that point yet. I think they've been so fixated on, not in a bad way, trying to restart and figuring out if restart was even an option and then figuring out everything that's involved with it, uh, going back and fixing their collective bargaining agreements. Have All that stuff has been just they're learning as we go and they haven't learned everything yet. It's almost like, you know, you, you sign up for a biology class, right? And, and, and within three weeks, somebody's asking you to give you a synopsis of the whole biology course. It's like, dude, I just got here three weeks ago. I can't tell you. <laughs> it's they're, they, they're, they're in that same situation. It's unfair of the, to ask what they've learned because they're still learning. I think they still are going through the process of finishing their leagues. Like they don't even know if they're going to be able to do so or not. They got to get to that point first. So I'm looking forward to being able to ask commissioners and you know, top executives what they have learned from. But I think what we see so far is, is that what we've learned is nothing is going to be perfect. You're going to have negative tests. You're going to have players who do things that would jeopardize uh, spreading the virus. You're going to have things that come out by social media. We're all learning. And I think the leagues are too. And, and I'm, I'm learning with them. Um, we get, we're getting a chance, a once in a lifetime chance possibly, of seeing how sports is connected from all sides. Because behind, it was always behind a a closed door, right? Now the, the wall has been knocked down. You are seeing through the parts and all the legs and the arms and the the the, uh, the rotors and the brakes, everything that makes sports money go. You're getting a, a, a full glance at it. Collective bargaining agreements, the players, the money, teams losing money, uh, the sponsorships, the TV agreements, the insurance. Name a time where all of this stuff came into play in the public life. I have to say I'm enjoying it because I, a lot of these things I did not know that how sports truly is operated and how the money goes. Right. So I'm enjoying it. And I think the leagues now are, are trying to understand the weaknesses that they have so that this can never occur again and find out a lot about this in another three years. I'm looking forward to revisiting this and trying to find out, hey, what did we learn about that? Or when we get to the next decade, God willing, in 2030, we're going to look back at 2020 like, dude, that was the one. And at that time, I think we would have learned so much about health and safety. We would have, we would have seen so much change. Uh, we would have seen so much technology impact how we have regained our trust about safety and sporting events and arenas. And it's going to be different. It's going to be a new different. It's not going to be a new norm because nothing is going to be normal anymore. It's going to be a new different. I'm looking forward to seeing what that is. Join the conversation with the Sports Pro community. Follow us on Twitter at SportsPro. Find us on Instagram at sportspro.media. And connect to SportsPro Media on LinkedIn, where you can also become a part of our specialist OTT community. SportsPro, connecting and inspiring the business world of sport. You mentioned um, technology there. Obviously, we're going to have uh, a different look and feel to games um, over the course of the next few weeks particularly in the broadcast side, because that's the only side that, that really exists as far as the public concern goes. Um, what what kind of marketplace is emerging there as, you know, new companies come in and new solutions are thrown up? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see how, you know, we have a problem. Not a, I, I can't say a problem, but I, I would think that it's not good anytime tech companies are on at, in Capitol Hill answering questions from government officials about antitrust things and um, I think that's going to affect a lot because, you know, the, these are tech companies that are making our economy go right now. But without Amazon and Apple and Mike, where would we be right now? 
I mean, we'd be lost. You think about that. I mean, that is going to, I think, affect how the new technologies that is being played out because we're in this thing called a data war. If you look across at what's happening with TikTok and the, the, the Chinese, uh, the China and U.S. trade war, all of those things are going to play effect. Uh, it's going to play a, a factor in how we're going to view sports. I mean, there's tech companies that are based overseas, and if we head into an area of deglobalization, how is that going to affect the technology of what we have? You know, you would think that American technology tech companies are just too great that these in the U.S. would be affected, but a lot of what these do also has now, especially a team, a league like the NBA, a lot of their revenue comes from overseas. You know, that, that that's overseas. Does that change with what's going on in, in, in Capitol Hill, uh, you know, over the next few days? So, um, you know, over now that this is brought to the, to the light, I should say, not over the next few days, because I don't think it's ever going to, I don't think it's going to be solved for a while. But um, so paying attention to that is going to be key. Um, because again, a lot of these leagues now have understood that they too, data is what really they're looking for. So when you say these technologies are being added, when you say fans are going on and they get to, you know, be on a video screen and do all this stuff, understand that data is also being collected when this happens. And that only, uh, that only empowers the league to be able to market to you more or, or their sponsor or their partners to be able to market to you more, to be able to personalize, you know, what they market to you. They know what you like, they know what you don't like. So they don't have to beat around a bush and say, hey, Heineken, Bud Light or Coors Light, you choose. They know you like Heineken based off of your sales transactions. You know, he drinks Heineken. You know, that's data that is valuable to them because it, it cuts straight through the glass and goes straight at the target. The technology behind it is fascinating. I mean, you know, you have men out there that's doing the audio. I mean, the NBA is putting microphones around. The technology is what they're testing to find out, A, how can they hopefully monetize some of these things, right? Because they got to make up for a lot of lost revenue without ticket sales, without attendance. Yeah. You know, that's game day operation money that's lost, that has been lost. Now these leagues, now some teams have to find a way to uh, go after some of that revenue that's been lost, right? Uh, and this is where technology plays a, a part in that because if you're able to have new offerings, especially if you're preparing for another, another season without fans, which it looks like we could be heading that way, you got to start to get out, work out some of the kinks. Okay, what are we going to do to try to maximize or make up some of the money that we're not going to have without people coming to our games? No parking, no concession, no alcohol sales, right? None of that. Betting, you know, sports betting is going to be really, really huge in that because while people are sitting at home, spend, not spending money out because they can't go anywhere, imagine how sports betting is going. Well, why not I try to just gain some more money through sports betting? So, um, you know, that's going to play a part. Uh, the technologies that's, uh, you know, how can sports betting operations bring fans closer insight to the game with, to get them the better opportunity to win? Um, so I think you, that's part of the new difference, you know, and I, that's and, and, and the fear is the fear is that you get to a point, right, that the fan decides, hey, you know what? I no longer have to go to a game. Everything that's available for me is available right in front of my home screen TV. I was at a Cowboys and Giants game last season it was at MetLife Stadium and I had to. The traffic getting to that game was just horrible. That area is a bad area to have a stadium. I just hope that once that stadium is time to give it up, they demolish it and move it somewhere where it's better. It's not accessible. It's right off 95. I mean, I literally had to, I've never in my life got out of an Uber and walked on the side of a highway, hop the fence just to climb over so I can, you know, try to get to the game. Those are the type of experiences where if you're a fan, the hardcore fan, you'll always get them back. But if you're a fan, that's just a nonchalant fan that if you go to a game, cool. And if you don't, cool 
you might lose that fan because now I'm like, I don't have to go anymore. I can sit home and they've made everything available to me. I want to bet. I got everything right here. If I want to watch certain ankles, I got everything right here. Tell me why I'm leaving my own couch where it's nice and warm and cozy. I don't have to worry about somebody sneezing and coughing on me. Okay. I don't got to worry about standing in line at the bathroom. One urinal works, one doesn't work. I don't got to worry about all that nonsense and then getting out the parking and all. I don't got to worry about none of that because I am home in my on my couch enjoying all of this. And by the way, I got my own personal bathroom. And when it's all said and done, after I finish reading Jabari Young article on CNBC, I can go to bed. Um, the other, the other longer term thing, and you know, you you mentioned this uh, in passing a little bit earlier, but you know, in, in in discussions of getting these leagues restarted, that has involved a huge amount of contact between uh, players and players' representatives in the leagues probably more contact than you'd see normally outside of a, a CBA negotiation. What have we learned about the relative balance of power between leagues and those unions at the moment? Man, if things can get ugly real, real fast, um, especially in the MLB and in the NFL. But uh, it's nothing that, it, listen, we, we usually don't see these type of fights unless we have collective bargaining showdowns. And normally, unless there's a strike, you know, most times people don't really care about that. Writers and people who cover the leagues hardcore, they care about it. You know, from a business perspective, you know, uh, sponsors and all they care about it because you don't you want you want peace, you want labor peace if you're going to be investing in something. You don't want to have to worry about my uh, marketing and my advertising if I'm a sponsor getting interrupted because y'all can't figure out the economics of how y'all going to structure my money. You know what I mean? So um, all of that, uh, you know, you got a chance to see that particular argument or, you know, that particular negotiation uh, on display. Uh, and you get to see how ugly it can be. MLB, it got really, really ugly. NFL, we were close, but it didn't get to that point. NBA, I think it was always, you know, credit to that league of, you know, they done a good job at making sure the players were well uh, informed along the way. And NHL, I, I would assume it's the same way. And, you know, trying to reach out to that league is, you know, crazy. <laughs> You know, uh, and so and, and MLS obviously is the same way. Their economics are structurally different because they're a single entity league. Uh, and so, you know, all teams are operated by, you know, one, one thing. Um, so it just allows you to see, just like we're able to see the inside of the sports money and how that machine operates. We also have to see the, the labor piece and how that operates. People have different voices. You know how hard it is to satisfy a constituency of 2,000 plus players? That's what the NFL has to go through every single issue. You know, you got 2,000 plus players. You can't control it. And then you have guys on Twitter, you know, superstars would go on Twitter and criticize. And, you know, people don't necessarily look at too much information. And so they'll go by what players are saying and then or players will get criticized. And so it's a back and forth argument. And you just got a chance to see that on display. You know, I, instead of getting involved, I sat back and, and just watched and just took notes about what guy is against this, what guy is against that. And listen to some of their issues. You know, I had a chance to talk to a you know, NFL player you know, last night before taping this podcast just to get his perspective on things now that the the issues are over or what it appears to be over because the, that labor piece has been had. And, you know, so just understand those perspectives to, 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 to talk to the union head. I mean, I had a great conversation with you know, MLB PA Tony Clark uh, a while ago, just kind of just understanding the dynamics of, of what uh, occurs. Uh, it's really been interesting for me from a reporter. I don't know... I don't know if, if, if people care, you know, too much about 
what's happening with the economics of the NFL or NBA or because you have people who, again, losing jobs left and right. Those people referencing at the minor league uh, level, you know, they don't give a damn about players complaining about millions of dollars when they're out here hurting. It's hard to talk about it when I know that I have friends out there who are hurting, you know, and, and it's hard to even discuss this because I'm thinking like, man, who cares? I do understand that there's a certain clientele and audience that I cater to that cares, but it's just difficult, right? And so you get a chance to see all of that on display. You really get a chance to see where both sides are coming from, from the owners and the players. Because listen, the owners run a business. This is not a charity case. This is a business. And in business, there are hard decisions that you have to make. And in business, it's ugly at times. Um, I got a chance to see that and understand it from a way better level and, and talk to both sides where I'm not, I can't take sides. It's got to understand the perspectives. Uh, and and it's, it's been really interesting. The other thing that's happened in the, the conversation between the players and owners and the players and, and league officials, and it's it's not related, but, but you know, it's related to everything in, a, in, in many respects. And that is um, the issue of, of social justice. You know, we've seen players being increasingly vocal about um, social issues in, in the last few years. But, you know, obviously with the Black Lives Matter protests over the, the last couple of months in the US and and beyond, there seems to have been a shift in terms of what certain leagues, and I think it's been most perceptible with the NFL, but there seems to have been a shift in terms of what certain leagues, how they want to frame that discussion and, and how much freedom they want to give players to express themselves um, and how much they want to have a dialogue rather than just having a gesture occasionally in the direction of, you know, racism is bad or, or something along those lines. And, and the players are obviously going to want to direct that in, in, in terms of um, talking more about structures and talking more about systemic problems that, that can be solved over a longer period. Is that... How how real is that impression? Is this something that is this a PR conversation? Do you think at the moment, or or are we beginning to see things happen that we haven't seen before? It's too early to tell. You know, it's too early to tell. Um, you know, I I don't. It's it's a touchy subject, right? It's a really tricky issue. I'm a black man in America, and I understand the problems that I faced uh, growing up, uh, even being in this industry, you know, in sports business see some of the areas that I hope to correct and I also see some of the uh, the areas that I'm probably not going to win that battle. And that's fine. You know, that's fine. It comes with the territory. I'm not expecting to be great. Uh, I want to be great in my own right, but not expecting to appease everybody or I can't, everybody can't like me. And I accept that. Um, to try to stare people to my issue is hard. To try to stare people to my concerns are hard. To try to stare people to concerns of people who look like me are hard. Do people say they care? Yeah, they say they care. Do they pretend that they care for a certain period of time? I guess it's a little bit of that too, right? So you accept what you can accept if it's genuine, if it's authentic, and if it's not, then I have no problem if people decide to stay away and just keep to themselves. Uh, with that said, owners, and I think you know, to answer your question, if you're asking me to have a problem, if, if you ask me if I had any problem with the way this is being portrayed, or if you know, I have a problem with teams or owners not saying anything, or if I have a problem with you know teams acting like it's yes and no, it's a free country. You know that 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 means something in this in this particular part of the world. I have to respect everybody's rights. I have to respect their perspectives. 
I don't want to try to argue with people on Twitter about what they see in their lens. And because you're never going to have a, a great conversation in 140, 40 characters. Um, it's just back and forth, gotcha moments, cloud chasing and all of that. Right. And I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to play that game. I don't want to upset anybody. I don't want to offend anybody. And so those conversations, I don't know if they're ready to be public conversations yet, um, at least from league's perspective. So I can discipline, I can say, oh, I, I, I hate that this is a part of the promo. Like, I, I, I'm not a fan of, uh, well, Martha King holiday, Martha King's, uh, Martha King Jr. holiday. I think that's a very important holiday. What it has become in my eyesight is what we are kind of discussing. It's become nothing more to me, in my opinion, nothing else, nothing more, possibly a PR moment for us to acknowledge something that we have yet to really acknowledge in this country. And that is you know, what we're experiencing, the social inequalities, social injustices and just the lack of giving people a voice has uh you know come back to haunt you. You know, even after a Martin Luther King holiday is celebrated, even after an entire month of black history is celebrated year after year after year after year. It's February the first to the twenty eighth, and then after that everybody forgets about it. Twenty ninth on the leap year, right? And then it's forgotten about. You know, and it's the same people over and over again. It's the Martin the Kings of the world. Nobody talks about Matthew Henson, the first you know, black to the one of the first blacks to discover the North Pole. Nobody talks about, you know, blacks that that that's done uh, things and pioneered things. Um, it's the same people over and over again. And so I hear people and I hear the Martha King, you know, Dr. Martha King uh, quotes. And those are powerful quotes. Those are interesting. But it's like, OK, what else? What else are you going to do? We know this. We know what Dr. King stood for. We don't need you to repeat what Dr. King said. He said it perfectly. We can go see what he said. What do you want to say? What are you going to do? What do you think about it? Are you going to help? And if not, that's fine. It's perfectly okay. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to dislike you because guess what? It's a free country. You know, and I think we may have gotten away from a little bit of that, depending on who you ask. I mean, I'm not in the position to judge anybody from that, but it's, it's disheartening and sad. There's been times that during that whole process, throughout the death of Mr. Floyd, you know, you hear, you have people call you and contact you. And, and what I was more focused on is, okay, after this subsides, you know, after this is over, will you still reach out? Will you still call me to see how I'm doing? Will you still check on me from time to time? Because those are where the real friends are at. Those are what the real friends do. So do I think it's a moment? Perhaps. We'll see. Still too early to tell. Um, we'll see. We'll see if the leagues take it, you know, seriously to bring in more diverse representation from the CEO and president's level. We'll see if the NFL takes it seriously and they're going to honor, you know, black players and their thoughts. We'll see if they're, uh, you know, if, if MLB is going to follow that and, and, and try to increase their percentages. We'll see if the NHL returns my calls just to get updates on their leagues, right? Black reporter, black sports reporter. I can't even get a freaking return call from the NHL. You know, and I say that on a public platform because I'm no longer afraid to say that. With me, it's allowed me to understand that, okay, if you guys want to hear the issues that are concerning us, I'm going to tell you. Don't get mad when you hear it. Don't be offended. Just listen and learn the same way you've asked us to listen and learn. Listen and learn. Um, and so we'll see if it's a PR stunt. I think, again, time is going to tell all that. Time is going to tell when you see these depleted funds, $100 million investments that companies are making. Once we see the end of that, once those funds have run out and we can look back and say, OK, what where did that money go? Did it go to the hands of the people who want any operations and 80 percent of it is used on 
just operation of cost alone and the other last 20% that you throw that into the community or you get a nice little building on the corner here? Or did that go into redeveloping a neighborhood so that way that neighborhood is well resourced so they don't have to go outside of that neighborhood. They can support that neighborhood from a supermarket, a pharmacy, housing. It's all available. It's all safe. It's all accessible. Those are the type of uh, things that you hope to see. Those are the, the economic equalities, Black people finally getting paid as their counterparts. And we'll see if leagues do their part. You know, it's one thing to put a Black Lives Matter on the court, right? NBA, it's great. I love that. I just love the players speaking out against it. Let's see what that means when those when 2021 diversity report comes out. Got an A plus now, but you still got an F in other areas. Let's see if that F can turn into a D plus. I don't even want an A. Just turn it into a D plus. And then from a D to a C. And from a C into a B. And you can stop at B. Come on. I don't need an A. I'm not greedy. But a B is that's progress. And these causes, the things that you're asking about, this is what changes that. And again, I can't tell you if that's going to happen or not. I've been around long enough to say that I'm skeptical. I've been around long enough to when I go back and ride through other areas and I see gentrification happening through areas I grew up in, I can say that I'm skeptical. Um, but at the same time, I have a six-year-old daughter, so I, I have to be optimistic and I have to be hopeful um, just so I can help her grow up and give her uh, a view that the world can be better uh, than before she was born. Is there anything that you've seen so far that rises to the level of something that more meaningful that you, you think, okay, I can get behind this. And it, it's not just the kind of, uh, it's more than the gesture. It's something where you think that is actually, that's a change that I can get behind. Nothing that I, I would want to, I don't want to, you know, shout out any organization or anything like that. I'm, I'm listen, Black Lives Matter group, you know, uh, the, the cause, you know, obviously I, I am, Hundred percent for that. I hope that you know that group can help uh, organization. I should say not group change uh, things in our country. Uh, but I'm not in a position to say what's going to work and what's not. I just know that I got to do a better job with myself. I got to go out and I got to start you know giving more time to communities that I grew up in and helping kids that look like me. That you know if I have anything extra to give back to make sure that I vote to make sure that I educate myself uh, and hope that. My daughter can do that and follow in my footsteps, and that's it. I can't save the world. I can't, you know, go out and see, you know, there are people that are in those league levels who are making way more money than I have. They have way more connections than I can, and I hope that they use them for the greater good. And if they don't, I'll be here to criticize and or I'll be here to, to support, you know, whichever they decide that they want to bring. Um, that's my job as a reporter. It's not to judge them. It's to support them, and I hope that they do get it together. Again, I'm skeptical. And I hope that the groups that are being formed that people care about. And that's not only from a league level, that's from a player's level too. You know, let's see if the players can uphold these promises that they say that they want to make. Um, let's see if they can uphold those, those, those issues. Let's see if they decide to also look around their inner circles and see if they don't have that diverse representation that they go out and change that to help black communities. It's not about just social justice here. It's also about empowering the people that you can empower. You know, do you have black representation, black agent, black uh, account? Um, and they don't always have, they don't just have to be black, but again, we're talking about black issues, right? And so there are things that they can do in their inner circle and then hopefully that can show in their outer circle. Me, myself, there are things that I feel like I do have to fix in my inner circle first before I'm able to judge anybody's. And I gotta, I gotta work on that.
Okay, uh, lots of work ahead, but I think that is going to have to be it for this part of the Sports Pro podcast. We're going to be hearing from Sandy Brown, the commissioner of Major League Lacrosse, who finished their season last weekend uh, in their own bubble just after this. Help us spread the word about the Sports Pro podcast. Subscribe, like and share our content on social. Join the conversation on Twitter with the hashtag SportsProPod. And if you're enjoying our work, why not leave us a rating and a nice review on your podcast platform of choice. And if you want to get in touch, you can send us an email, podcast at sportspromedia.com. The Sports Pro Podcast, we're listening to. Sandy Brown, Commissioner of Major League Lacrosse. Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Sandy, you've just finished your 2020 season. Um, not what you would have expected, I'm guessing, at the start of the year, but uh, you managed to, to get through it. What kind of changes did you have to make to the schedule and to everything else in, in order to have any kind of season at all this year? It required a lot of planning. Um, interestingly enough, we started, we met as a team daily, um, uh, probably 15 of us from the beginning of the year. And then once uh, we started seeing evidence of the pandemic, then we really had to pivot and really take a hard look at how we were going to map the season out. We, we first and foremost had to figure out where we were going to be allowed to play. And in order for us to be able to play at all, we had to have a very tight and rigid return to play protocol. Interestingly enough, we also, we started with the Bundesliga document, which I think probably every professional league in this country took a look at as a, as a starting point. And then we engaged um, a number of our physicians who also work with a number of the professional leagues. Uh, and I talked to other, some other commissioners, Adam Silver, who's an old colleague of mine, Lisa Baird over at uh, the NWSL, etc. And really tried to see what they're doing. And, and it really is interesting because it's all about best practices. And we put together what we thought was a very, very tight protocol that required um, a lot of testing and required that we were going to have to be in a bubble. Initially, I did not want to be in a bubble because we had two new teams. So I wanted to be able to have, play games in those particular markets, but it just, we just came to the conclusion it just wasn't going to work. And we knew we had to do it over a defined period of time. So last year's season was 50-plus games. This season was 17. Mm. The fact we have generally two tentpole events during the year. One is the All-Star Weekend, and the other, the other one is our Championship Weekend. So we had all of our teams together in one place at one time. And that really was – I think everyone really enjoyed that. But I, you're, you're playing – up to 17 games of lacrosse in oppressive heat in the mid-Atlantic here in the second half of July um, in between trying to manage the pandemic. So it was a gargantuan task, but our guys did a great job. The lacrosse was fantastic. And we, uh, we managed to get through probably 85% of the, of the week without being impacted by COVID. And then, you know, and then, it, then it hit us uh, on our semifinal day. But we got through it. And had a great final. Yeah. So you had was it? Uh, it was three positive tests. Yeah. Uh, late last week. Yeah. We all off the same team. So we we did 180 tests before anybody showed up. So part of the protocol was that we were going to test in advance of any player traveling. If any player, uh, coach, or staff member tested positive, they would not be allowed to travel. Um, out of 180 tests, we had one positive. Mm. 
This is before we even showed up in Annapolis. And then, um, and we tested everybody twice a day. We temperature tested everybody twice a day. And in this particular case, the player was symptomatic. And um, we got a, we had a, got a test done within an hour. And then the next morning at 7 a.m., I had every team tested, plus all the staff, uh, the television crew, et cetera. And um, there were two other uh, positive tests off the same team. Have you been able to get to the bottom at all yet of, of what might have happened there? When the- we're doing our investigation uh, right now. We have um, some theories, but it wasn't a function of anybody leaving the bubble. I just have to say, I can't say enough about our players. I mean, they, they knew for a couple of things. They knew they had a professional responsibility to, to, to comport themselves accordingly. They also realized the, the impact this could have on somebody's life. The one team where there were three positive tests, that team withdrew. So there yeah. were no other positive tests anywhere. And, but it's nevertheless, you're still talking about something for – a young person that's difficult to get their hand. I think it's difficult for anybody to get their hands around, but you know, I feel very confident that we took all the appropriate steps. And the guy that handled this uh, matter for us, Buddy Rose is on my staff, did an unbelievable job. I mean, he, he managed to develop the whole protocol. He got all the testing done. I just can't say enough about him. He really was, uh, he was huge in this whole thing. I think we got a lot of credit for, for how we handled it. We, we handled it very swiftly. We handled it. We're, we're very measured in our approach. So we didn't have two games of the semifinals. We had a, we had a fantastic day on Sunday uh, on ESPN. Two great teams going at it, and, and it turned out perfectly. So yeah. good end of the week. I mean, obviously, uh, the process of putting together tournaments under these kind of conditions, and, and we're probably a, a few weeks ahead, at least as far as team sports go um, here in Europe. But, you know, we, we've had a lot of conversations about the the scale of testing that's required and the resources that have to go into that financially and, and logistically, um, all the other work that goes into creating bubbles. And what went into the decision to go ahead with the season rather than postponing altogether? What are you weighing up there? And, and at what point did you decide, okay, on the balance of income and the balance of risk and everything else, um, you know, for a league of your size, it was it was worth pressing ahead. Well, a couple of things. One, I've always felt that it was critically important for us to be able to play in the season, just because you have to continue. You know, with what we do, you have to play to, to to continue to be relevant. And I felt that if we if we had a tight enough protocol and we did it under the right circumstances, which again was a function of talking to a lot of people and getting a lot of opinions and looking at what the others are doing, uh, i.e. the NBA, for example, that we can manage it. And if we, for example, when we did all the initial testing before we showed up in Annapolis, if we felt that there, I mean, we had a whole host of, if if we had a whole host of positive tests, I think we may have rethought things, but we didn't. And we took all the appropriate measures of putting, you know, every player had their own hotel room, all the meals are prepackaged. Um, we had into, we had hand sanitizing stations on the sideline. We had uh, everybody had their own individual water bottle. Dumbed down all the celebrations and you know that kind of thing. I mean, we, we I think we we were very very careful uh, on all of this in, in terms of how we managed it. We had to be able to do that to make this work, and so. We, we also, as you're aware, we have a competitor in the, in the space. 
Um, and I wasn't real wild about the fact that we were going to be in a situation where, you know, one of us were going to play and the other one wasn't. Uh, especially this is our 20th anniversary season. So that to me is another element. And the, the other piece of it, and it's not insignificant, is that we just concluded a multi-year deal with ESPN and we had a broadcast window in the second half of July before any of the other professional leagues had started. The MLS started, as you know, at the end of, uh, or sorry, the beginning of July, but there was no baseball, no NHL, no NBA, etc. And we wanted to take advantage of that television window. If we decided that we were going to do this in August, then two things we would, ha- would, we would have had to take into account. One is whether you get lost in the shuffle with all the other leagues, but the second piece of it is no one would no- could tell you the ebb and flow of this pandemic in terms of infection rates, hospitalizations. And, and as we all know, it's, you know, it's, it, it's ebbed and now it's risen again. And we didn't want to be in a situation where potentially we may not be able to pull this off. So earlier, the better in our minds. And that, that was a lot of our thinking. So in terms of the, the financial side of it, you mentioned that deal with ESPN, that was always going to take you through this season in a, in an environment with no, no crowds and, uh, and the additional uh, expense that you might have had to take on. Yeah, I mean, as you're well aware, we don't have any crowds, so we have no gate. We don't have concessions. We don't have um, uh, we don't have merchandise. When you don't have a crowd, it also reduces the ability from a sponsorship standpoint because you can't activate. And sponsors, when they're going to get involved with a league like ours, want to be able to activate and activate with the fans, not just you know in a social environment. And that impacts everybody. It's, that doesn't, that's not unique to us. It's for every professional league. But we've, we found, you know, we, we have our core sponsors this year and, and the Coca-Colas of the world and the Progressives and the New Balances and um, Sector Spiders and so forth and so on. And, and I, all the feedback I've gotten has been very positive. How does this affect your thinking going into, into next season? Is your plan at the moment to try and revert to normal or are there things that you've, things that you've developed this year that you're hoping you might be able to incorporate and, and create a bit of additional value for, for some of those sponsors? Yes. I mean, I, I think, so this is really not a, a sponsor value as much as, as it is just in terms of how we conduct our game. And I'll, I'll tell you what that is. Part of our protocol was in, in our sport, both teams are on the same side of the field. And so there's a, the scores tables on that side and there's a, there are substitution boxes for each team on that side. We determined that we were going to put teams that had never been done before. We're going to put our teams on opposite sides of the field. And the reason we did that was obviously so that we don't have so many people congregating in the same place. It actually, I mean, we really, it was dumb luck, but we stumbled upon something because it created a completely new dynamic for our game in terms of really opening up the field and making it, making it a lot more exciting. It's easier uh, to officiate. It's not as hectic in terms of substitutions. We think that was a real positive. I mean, I, I like the tournament format. I, I mean, you know, we, we're a community-based league, so our, our, our team's just similar to the EPL and so forth. Um, our local communities rally around our teams, and, and that's a foundation for, for our league. So we want to be able to get back to that so we can, so we can play in our home markets and so forth. Um, and the key thing for me is, candidly, is I just want more teams. You know, I'm, I'm going to be looking at really trying to add more teams 
over the course of this year. What kind of what kind of pressures is this year going to create? You know, not just your season, but the the economic situation that we're likely to see developing as a result of uh, of, of the COVID nineteen crisis around the world. And what what are you anticipating for next year? Are you comfortable with the shape that you're going to be in, or, or are you going to have to make some difficult decisions? Well, we had to make some difficult decisions this year. Um, mm. When I first, I've been this is my third season with the league. And we've had to deal with something every year. I mean, the first year that we knew that there was a rival league that was brewing. Last year, we restructured the league in terms of ownership. We got our television rights back. Um, we had we cleaned up a lot of things that candidly were not conducive uh, for new investors coming into the league. So this year, we had to deal with the pandemic. But the flip side is we got a great television deal with the SBM. They have they are a tremendous partner and they they. They did a great job this week in terms of what, you know, what they put to air, and um, so I think there are a lot of positives we can take out of this season. And I, I, I think we, you know, we had to deal with also some social justice issues, which were which were very important. Um, so I like to say we sort of hit for the cycle this week and all the different things that we encountered, but we put a great product out on the field. We have tremendous players. Uh, we have a great television product. This league has got a lot of runway, and I'm, I'm very, very sanguine about uh, <clears throat> about where it's headed. Just to just for the benefit of a, an international and a, a non lacrosse audience, there, there's three uh, three lacrosse leagues playing in the U.S. at the moment. So you have yourselves, at Major League Lacrosse, and then you have the National Lacrosse League and, and the Premier League uh, of Lacrosse or the Premier Lacrosse League. What is the layout? What's what's the landscape there? How would you describe it? I would say this. Nick Sakavich runs the indoor league. Was at the MLS for a long time. He runs a real. He runs a very good ship. I'm a big supporter of NOL. I'm a big believer in NOL. We have roughly 47 of our players that play in that league. Before I took this role, the the approach, the prior approach of MLL was really not to pay a lot of attention to the indoor league, which in my mind was a big mistake, because our these guys, the, the skill sets that the guys develop indoors make our game that much more exciting. And we're all about trying to put the best product out in the field we possibly can, and I think they do a very good job of it. So the indoor league, in my mind, is uh, is a staple of our sport. Um, in terms of the outdoor leagues, my views on it, are, and I'm not saying anything I haven't said before publicly, which is I don't think there's room for two outdoor leagues. You know, we've been here for 20 years. We are a, a league that is again a community-based league and a league that is really dependent upon its fan local fan bases and that is to me are, are table stakes in terms of our success and they have been table stakes uh, in terms of our success heretofore i'm not a fan of the touring model but the bottom line in that regard is that we just our fish pond so to speak is not big enough for uh you know two outdoor professional leagues so what what kind of pressures does that create on you uh, collectively going into going into next year, or how does that affect your strategy? Well, we have a new television deal with the Walt Disney Company, which I don't care what sport you are, that's an important, very important component. Secondly, you know we know what our our teams bring to the, the equation in the local markets, and so the Boston Cannons won our champion this year. Rob Hale is their owner. 
and Rob is a big supporter of the league, and he understands the business model of operating in a, you know, in a smaller environment in terms of venue and, and really activating and really engaging the local fan base. And I've said this for, you know, a couple of years now, they, they, they have implemented the model as it should be implemented in our, in our league. And every local team should be, should be doing exactly the same. Uh, and will, you know, I think one of the things that we've, we've come across over the last couple of years, and I, I, and again, it's through my, the benefit of being in the sports business and, you know, working for ESPN and working for the NBA. And I tell our team presidents, you have to have a minor league baseball mentality. So you, what happens off the field has got to be better than what happens on the field because the, the competition for the consumer's entertainment dollar has never been higher. And so it's incumbent upon us as in any professional league is to provide an outstanding experience for our, you know, for our fans, for our consumers off, off the pitch. And that's one of the things that we've really worked hard to, to, to implement and Boston's done a very good job of it. And, you know, I think you're going to see that a lot more in terms of all of our, all of our teams, but those are the kinds of things that ultimately that's the business. And um, I happen to think we have an incredible product on the field. Um, and we need to have an incredible product off the field. What do you take out of this year, and what are your priorities going to be for the next 18 months? We have to ensure that we have a safe environment for all of our players and our fans. So next year, assuming that we can have fans, and I'm very hopeful of that, we have to have an equally safe protocol, return to play protocol, return to attend protocol, if you want to look at it that way, uh, for all of our fan bases. So that's going to be very important. I'd like to do more from a television standpoint. I mean, our social media this year went off, was just off the charts. I mean, Tom Johnson, who runs our digital area, just hit it out of the park in terms of what we did on social this year. You know, I want to continue to drive that. I want to add more cities. We're in six cities right now, six markets, I should say. We need to be in a number of other markets um, on a national basis. And those that that's going to be that that's going to be my one, two, and three priority. And then another priority for my of mine is to see how things are on the on the online betting landscape. And we're working on that right now as we speak in terms of us being able to be more um, pronounced in terms of our participation in that space. So we have a lot on our plate, um, a lot to keep us busy in the off season, but I. I am very proud of our team for the work that they did to execute this 20th anniversary season under uh, just unreal circumstances. And I think they put out a great product. You're listening to the Sports Pro Podcast. Okay, that'll do it for another Sports Pro Podcast. Thanks again to Sandy Brown for his time there. Thank you as well to Jabari Young. Thanks for having me, uh, and I appreciate it, man, and uh, it was good, and I hope to to come back. Hopefully I didn't uh, bore your listeners too much, but again, I want to wish everybody a a safe and and a prosperous uh, day. Uh, It's a very challenging time, but um, I just uh, hope everyone remains safe and remain optimistic about the future. Yeah, the same to you, Jabari, and we'll be uh, happy to have you back again uh, really soon. Um, Thanks as well to everybody for listening. And uh, we'll speak to you again next time. Bye-bye.
Sports Pro podcast is published by Sports Pro Media. The producer is Ed Dixon.